This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Do you find yourself juggling multiple websites and clinical tools as you care for your patients? NeoCarePal is a resource providing access to multiple clinical calculators in just one place. To learn more, visit nicuconnections.com backslash NeoCarePal. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Um, welcome back to the Incubator Podcast. We're live at the next symposium. We are uh, joined with Dr. Aloka Patel. Dr. Patel, thank you. Aloka, we have to go on a first name basis. So Aloka, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Daphna, do you want to start us off with the first question? Well, uh, I guess we'll let you tell us what your, your the main points of your talk today. You're going to tell us a, bit, a little bit about disparities in breastfeeding in the NICU. Yes. And this is an area that's really, I feel very passionately about. Um, I don't think I really knew anything about breast milk when I was a trainee. And I realized once I became an attendant how vital it is for infants. And only through watching what women do, do you realize that there's such a big disparity. And early in my career, what I felt was like people would just make assessments or kind of, uh, not assessments, make assumptions that, mm-hmm. oh, if she were a good mother, she would provide milk. She doesn't really, she's not caring. She, and you start to think about it and you're like, what mother would try not to do the best thing or what parents think it could be their child? And so we started to look into what were some of the reasons for the disparities. And there are many of the things that we all know affect so many elements of our life that they're outside of medicine. They're really related to our social situation in this country or maybe in many countries. So I think that's what I really want to impress upon people is people may not provide bicycling because they don't even know about it. They've never seen anyone do it mm-hmm. or it's too hard to do. That's right. So if, if somebody is, is not going to be, uh, have the privilege of being here at your talk, can you um, give us an overview of some of the, of the main points you are trying to make uh, during your talk and some of the takeaways that, that you would, you would uh, summarize for, for your presentation? I would summarize just that there are still huge racial disparities um, within NICU breast milk provision. Mm-hmm. And there are small things that we can do as a group, and some of them are harder than others. One is really having consistent messaging, and that's something we're struggling in our own unit of, we think we're doing a great job, but is the L&D nurse saying the same thing? And I've gotten into conflict with the L&D nurse where their priority is the mother's really tired. They don't, you know, she's on mag, something's going on. Why would I make her pump? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to them saying, this is a medicine for our patients. We really need it. I want you to understand that this is really vital to her health. So consistency, 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 and then actually 
um, practical support. So you can tell somebody, please do it. Oh, you didn't get time. Okay, fine. But unless somebody is there to provide the resources, and we're doing a trial right now that's trying to help provide resources and see if that makes a difference. Um, and then having that support, you know, I benefited from being an institution that Dr. Meyer was my mentor, where she set up peer counselors. So I think having people who've gone through the same experience and talked to you about pumping and lactation is really so I would say finding the right personnel to support the families, making sure there's consistent messaging. I'm assuming in all of our units, there's one naysayer or a couple mm-hmm. like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Really trying to impress on everybody. We are doing this as a Can I ask you to just get closer to your mic? Yes, yeah, perfect. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I really love this concept of milk is medicine. And... Um, I want to hear about some of the interventions you're going to talk to. And I wonder how big of a role does just education of our staff uh, have to do with balancing some of the disparities? Like you said, I think some of the staff doesn't even understand the importance of why we need milk, especially in the Nikki population. I, I think it's tremendous. And we unfortunately are seeing the gaps and what happens. Mm. So when I first, I've been at the same institution for 20 years. So it was just the culture. Everybody, when you came in as a new faculty member, you were equally ingrained, every nurse. Uh, over the past 20 years, as people have shifted and moved, especially over the pandemic, where probably 40% of our nursing staff is new, right? There's been so much turnover in all these institutions. We're seeing that that lack of education has direct transferred what's happening at the bedside. And so we are making sure from like a nursing point of view that it's in every year and maybe multiple times a year, re-hitting it as to why it's so vital for the nursing staff to know. And then going to the OB side for that postpartum labor delivery area to make sure they understand. So I think with engagement, I feel like the model out of Orange County that was a paper that was published a few years ago. It's a QI one. It was fantastic. As they showed, as they went through each of the steps, their rates, right? You only discharge. So it can be done. It can be done. I wish we were doing it, but we're not there. We're still struggling. And I, you know, I don't, I think each unit is going to be unique as to where you find what we need to all attention. Do you think that this has to do with the fact that we mistakenly think that um, provision of uh, breast milk is easy because it's it's natural, you know, it's like you don't need anything. When in truth, it requires extensive support, extensive logistics, and that often gets missed by the 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 the, the team of providers and nurses because we don't realize how much work it is on these mothers to actually consistently provide breast milk to an infant that is not in their home with them. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, it's absolutely true, and that's what our line of research has really been trying to look into is what does it take? And we, you know, one of my slides is saying that breast milk is not free. And And I think slide. Totally right. And I have have said that in a meeting with our, like our IDPH director, where it's just like, oh, breast milk. And I said, no, 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 it's not free. Mm -hmm. It's not free because we get it for free because the mother or the parent brings it, but they've done all the work. And I think especially when you're separated from your child, it, it, we've kind of quantified all the steps that it takes and what's the monetary value. There's um, some great literature kind of looking at, like if you look at the gross domestic product 
how it's measured. Breast milk is not included. No. I mean, it's a product that's not measured. Wow. So it's beyond us in the NICU. It's really totally. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we've had mothers who come on the show and 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 walk you through the day-to-day of like, hey, I have to put in an alarm because there's not yes. going to be a baby that's going to yeah. cry to remind me that I need to feed. And so I have to go on a schedule and go by myself in the living room and pump for my baby in the NICU. And it's it's amazing, but it's awful what these mothers have to go through to actually provide provide breast milk. So um, I'm very happy that, that you're touching up on that. When we, oh, sorry, when we actually looked at that um, and we quantified it, we've, we counted how many minutes it's about two hours of work a day wow. to pump, clean, store, do the milk. Yeah. And then not including the transportation of actually bringing it the to the unit. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot of work if you think for a 60 day stay. Yeah. For, and that's it. And, and that's just in the NICU, right. not beyond. Yeah. Right. And I mean, as someone who breastfed, I mean, it feels like way more work than two hours a day. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. It does. And there's this other component that I think is so hard to to measure, right? The emotional toll, the physical toll, um, the guilt with not being able to produce enough. Yeah. There's just such a cost as you say. So tell us about some of the interventions that you guys are sticking. So we are doing a randomized control trial that we're really excited about. It's basically built on previous observational prospective studies. And we found for in Chicago, at least, some of the barriers in terms of between black and white uh, mothers providing breast milk, some of the mediators, one of them was socioeconomic status. How many times you pump a day, your age. But we decided, you know, you can't do anything about some of those things. The socioeconomic status, they can't fix it. I mean, one of the biggest issues of our country is lack of paid leave. But even paid leave wouldn't address all of the women who may be in a low-income status, they don't have a job where they would have gotten even when I hear gig workers. So we designed an intervention to look at exactly what is the cost and the time commitment of providing milk and try to offset it. So in our institution, there's a hospital-grade breast milk um, pump that's provided for free at the baby's room. But to take one home, you have to rent it. It's on a sliding scale based on your economic status. So our intervention is to provide a breast pump to take home for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a heart pump that will measure when they're pumping, when they're not. So we can get an idea of exact um, times with knowing that they're actually pumping. We have a milk courier that has um, a freezer and a refrigerator in the car that goes to the home, picks up the milk, and brings it to the NICU um, if desired. And then the third is we're paying women with the time they spend pumping. Because their time is not properly valid. So they get minimum wage for two hours a day, every day they pump. And that's where the spark pump is not so good because they may have verification that they pumped. And so that trial is at halfway through. And we're uh, randomizing based on blocks of gestational age for ethnicity. We're hoping that it helps move the needle. It's only still a drop in the bucket. I think it's not going to be the solution to everything, but hopefully it helps offset the work that we've been doing that's underrecognized. Yeah, and when you think about total healthcare costs, if we can do this type of work and pay uh, people for the milk that they make, but we save so much money on life stacking, right? By not having a, a, a neck diagnosis or not having a prolonged uh, length of stay, short admissions. I mean, it makes sense that there is actually cost savings. I see how it would be a tough sell for organizations. Um, but I think there are costs 
Hopefully you'll show us. That yeah. And and I am really thrilled that the, the co-PI would be is Dr. Tricia. Oops, Tricia. Tricia Johnson. Uh, she's going to be coming here shortly today. And she's a health economist. So she and I worked together for many years. And so there will be a very detailed economic analysis in this trial to look at what is the cost of optimism. And you're right. You can't really sell it unless you can show where you save money based on all of those things, all the morbidity is and like to stay. Go um, I think Jen Canvasser mentioned this at uh, the end of her talk, but um, I wanted to uh, maybe give you the opportunity of sharing why, uh, sharing your why for NEC and what made you uh, want to be here today for the next symposium. For me, it was a patient when I was a fellow, mm-hmm. and we had a baby who had a congenital heart lesion um, that I was, you know, the fellow in service, and term baby to move well and within my call within 12 hours that baby died of neck and I remember I was so devastated um I couldn't leave after that happened and I just realized like what is this disease and why is there so little we can do and so I really wanted to be a neck researcher when I was younger and I ended up calling it to human milk mm-hmm. which is nice because it remains so related. I have chills, right? Because we all have those cases that just stick with us forever. And for some of us, like you, it's really changed the tra- trajectory of your career. So, like, yeah, I, I didn't realize until she asked the question that that baby is always with me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always in your mind or the back of your mind. And I think that's what every time is about. There's something about babies who pass away of neck and then make you that you feel like they've slipped away from you, mm-hmm. right? You feel like you never really had a chance to sit yourself down, cognitively think about the patient, come up with an intervention. They just slip through your finger and you're like, but, and then you try to catch them and, and they're gone. Right. And it's, it's exactly like Jay said, it's a thief of mine. And you just, all of a sudden you're, it's too late. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, th- Aloka, thank you so much for coming uh, to the mic and uh, sharing uh, highlights of your talk. And uh, we will uh, follow you around the conference uh, this, this next few days. And uh, please feel free to come back if you have anything uh, else to share with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time discussing what I'd like to talk about. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. That was great. I hope that was okay. Yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was fantastic. You could talk about it. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah. I guess you wanted to say or I wanted to say one thing, but I didn't say is what I'm really passionate about and I'm not talking about. Hold on. Oh, on. Let's yeah. go right back. It's a tiny little project I'm working on. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so in usual incubator fashion, um, we we were just chatting off air, asking if if we were able to get around to everything that uh, Aloka wanted to bring up. And there's one more thing, as uh, Steve Jobs would say. <laughs> well, this is just a passion project of mine. It's very tiny, but I think part of the whole thing about breast milk is we're too late to the game, right? You can't change somebody who's in the crisis mode. I mean, you could try, but the real goal is we should be talking about breast milk long before the baby's with us long before I think the pregnancy. So we're doing a small pilot project um, based off the work I did with a resident um, many years ago who's now a neonatologist and now one of our junior faculty is we're going to Chicago Public Schools and for fifth graders, we're talking about breast milk and the view of science and different mammals. That's been one of my passions. I think we need to take the breast away from sex. We need to make breast milk normal. And talking about it from the lens of cute animals and mm-hmm. explaining it to children, maybe we can change the generation. I I love that. You know, um, 
there was this push, right? The La Legend League's really about bringing it to community awareness about how important breastfeeding is. And that's kind of fallen away. And maybe that's because we're spending more time on Netflix and streaming. Yeah. There's there's no public advertising. Public radio has really um, fallen short, but I think that's a wonderful initiative. And I find that children totally get it. Do. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, there's some, uh, threshold when we get too old where we get these, uh, you know, preconceived notions about breastfeeding. How is the project going? How is the reception? Yeah, it's been fantastic. And I think when I first was thinking about it, it's like, it needs to be everybody. It's so the boys are just as engaged as the girls. Um, they're curious and I'm just trying to break down any, you know, that preconceived notion that they develop into their young childhood, teenage years. So I'm excited about it. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, I think when are they ever going to hear about this? If not, if not during these sessions, because this is not something, this is not a topic that comes up at the dinner table frequently. And uh, unless for, for many of these children, there is not a small child in the home that can put them in the context of figuring out that who breast milk is, is something that, that matters. So I think this is a phenomenal idea. Congratulations. And one more thing that when we did the pilot, like the families, the parents actually wrote us nice notes and things were talking about it. And it wasn't, we didn't ask for it, but mm. so that made me feel good. That's, That's incredible. Awesome. I mean, I totally dig the intervention. Well, one of the things I think is just impressive is the fact that, I mean, you're taking your time to go and do this, you know, advocacy work. And I wonder, you know, what do you feel is the responsibility of the neonatologist to be reaching out to the community in this way? That's a good question. I don't think it's something we're paid for, right? Obviously, <laughs> it's, not, it's not going into the promotion packet, probably. But I think if it's something that you see a way to maybe move the needle and you can find that bit of support somewhere in your institution, just go for it. You know, even if it's two years, you try it. You just don't know what downstream effect will be. And maybe someone else will take it over. Maybe the science teacher will take it up. That's the ultimate goal. It doesn't need to be the neo or the physician. I like that. That's awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thanks for letting me know. No, of course. <laughs> Makes me really That's happy awesome. that we are starting this. Oh, that's amazing. All right. Thank, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Can't wait to see what comes of it all. Hydrate. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Hey, Finn. Are we live? Yeah, we're definitely live. <laughs> that was great. That was, uh, that was Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the dash incubator.org you can also message the show on instagram or x formerly known as twitter at NICU podcast thanks again for listening and see you next time this podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice if you have any medical concerns please see your primary care practitioner thank you